Hello, and welcome to The Secret Sits. I'm your host, John Dodson. Today, I am bringing you a truly bizarre story about a man who seemed to be made out of Teflon, but his criminal acts were so perverse that he could not get away forever. Buckle up and get ready for the story about Robert Birchtold. There is not much to be found in regards to Robert Birchtold as a child. He has told some stories, but like most things he has said, it may have all been lies. So we may never know what inside of this clean-cut, upstanding member of the LDS church turned out to be rotten and made him into the manipulative pedophile he turned out to be. We know that Birchtold was born on February 7, 1936, in Tremonton, Utah. He served in the U.S. Army during the Vietnam War. After the war, he returned to Utah, got married to a woman named Gail, and had five children. They settled in the small town of Pocatello, Idaho, where he ran a furniture store. The dedicated member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints wasn't quite the family man he appeared to be. In truth, he was a pedophile who would stop at nothing to get access to his victims. And unfortunately, little was done by anyone in the community to deter Birchtold from acting out his fantasies. Birchtold had a history of trying to ingratiate himself with families with young daughters. In January of 1974, he was given a slap on the wrist, a reprimand by the LDS church for his behavior with a young girl. However, no lesson was learned from this slap on the wrist, and it wasn't only the church that seemed to turn a blind eye. As incredible as it may sound, the parents of his victims did everything they could do to be accommodating. In 1972, Robert Birchtold and his wife Gail met Mary Ann Broberg and her husband, Robert Broberg, who went by Bob, at the LDS church in their Idaho hometown. Birchtold and the Brobergs lived in the same neighborhood and would soon be spending bountiful amounts of time together. The Birchtold family had five children, and the Broberg family had three. There seemed to be a new best friend for each member of each household. Robert and Bob bonded over their backgrounds in business and being family men. Bob was a florist and owned his own flower shop. Robert was the president of the freight outlet furniture store. Marianne and Gail bonded over their families and their faith. A close family friendship ensued with 10-year-old Jan Broberg and her sisters, Susan and Karen Broberg, describing Robert as a second father, affectionately calling him Dad, Brother B, or just B. They had all the fun toys we didn't have, like a boat, snowmobiles, and a trampoline, Jan recalled. Robert soon took a special interest in Jan. Upon learning that Jan and her sister, Karen, shared a basement bedroom, the handy Robert built a wall, giving the two girls their own bedrooms. Building this wall also gave Robert 
an excuse to be in the Broberg's house more often. It would also give Robert private, intimate access to Jan. The two families, especially the children, spent tons of time together, including participating in sleepovers at one another's houses. The Birch told had a large trampoline in their backyard, which the kids would sleep on sometimes during their sleepovers. Jan remembers that one night during one of these sleepovers, she woke up in the middle of the night, lying on the trampoline, and her panties had been pulled down almost to her ankles. She felt scared, and then she noticed that Robert Birchtold was lying right next to her. In fact, his hand was touching her, resting on her. He told the girl that she had been tossing and turning a lot and that she must have reached down and pulled her panties down herself. Jan believed Robert because his excuse seemed much more plausible to her than the alternative that this trusted family friend had done something unseemly. In June of 1973, Jan accompanied the Birchtold family on their vacation to Seattle. She had never gone on a trip with them before. When they returned from the trip, there were stories of Jan acting strange. At one dinner, she was just sitting at the table, swaying back and forth, barely able to maintain her upright position. Birchtold decided that he had best take the young girl back to the room and promptly left the dinner with his family to escort the unwell girl. Jan remembers fading in and out of consciousness. And at one point, while in the hotel room, she remembers seeing Robert Birchtold naked. It is believed that this is the first time that Robert Birchtold sexually molested Jan Broberg. And now Robert started to become infatuated with the young girl and he would stop at nothing to make sure he could have her. He also knew that to get Jan, he would also need to groom her parents, and he would essentially need to get her parents' approval. Robert was no stranger to manipulating people to get what he wanted, and he immediately began to do this with the Brobergs. He began with Mary Ann. He would call her at home and ask her if she could bring him something for lunch at the furniture store, and so she would. She quite enjoyed hanging out with Robert. He was new in town, and he had the charming effervescence that her own husband Bob did not possess. He told her that she had a beautiful body, complimented her on her legs, and she quickly became attracted to this new man in her life. Marianne tried to ignore the feelings, but after traveling to an LDS church function in Logan, Utah, they took a ride into the mountains and had a little make-out session. They did not engage in sexual intercourse, but they had gone far enough. They traveled back home and tried to go back about their normal lives, but it had ignited a spark inside of Marianne that she may have forgotten about after 12 years of marriage. Next, Robert Birch told, had confided in Bob Broberg that he was not having the best sexual relationship with his wife, Gail. Robert stopped by Bob's florist shop one day and asked Bob to accompany him for a ride. On this ride, he said to Bob, 
I can't stand my wife, and I need to have sex. At this point, Bob looked down and noticed that Robert had become sexually aroused. Robert turned to Bob and asked him if he could just provide him with some relief. And Bob reached over and manually masturbated Robert Birchtold. In January of 1974, Robert received a reprimand from the LDS church because of his contact with a different young girl. He had to go to a clinical psychologist in California who was supposed to help him get over his obsessions. Robert told Marianne and Bob that he was seeing a therapist to help him deal with the abuse he had endured as a child. He told them that he had had sex with his own aunt when he was just four years old. He then told them that as part of his therapy, his therapist recommended he sleep in the same bed as their daughter Jan. He would just lie in the bed beside her as she slept. The doctor had also given him these strange tapes to listen to while he laid in bed with Jan. Neither one of us was comfortable with him doing it, Marianne said, but it was his therapy. And by this point, Robert had something to hold over each of the Broberg's heads. The schoolgirl crush Marianne had, plus their little makeout session in the car, and even worse for Bob, a homosexual encounter. He would never live that down if people found out. Years later, a teary-eyed Bob said, I did the worst thing I've ever done. And he did not mean the homosexual act itself, but rather that he had ruined the fidelity of his marriage to Mary Ann. Their daughter, Karen, explained the impact that the incident had on her father. Once he had something to hang over their heads, he controlled them. They had a 10-minute locker room incident that affected my father for the rest of his life. Birchtold later admitted to the FBI, I entered into a homosexual relationship with her father in order to have access to Jan. I had a fixation for Jan. After their initial therapy session, Robert Birchtold slept in Jan's bed around four times per week for the next six months. Robert Birchtold believed that he and Jan were meant to be together and nothing would stand in their way. On October 17th of 1974, Birchtold told Mary Ann that he wanted to take Jan horseback riding. But Mary Ann said no, because it was a school night and she had her piano lessons that evening. But Robert insisted, and he offered to pick up Jan from her piano lessons and then take her horseback riding. Mary Ann was a, a bit apprehensive at first, but she eventually agreed what could possibly go wrong. As soon as Birchtold got Jan in his car, he told her to take her allergy medication, which was not actually her medication. He drugged her and proceeded to stage a fake alien abduction and then drove away with Jan in his family's motorhome. Jan almost immediately lost consciousness and she does not remember any part of the drive. Fading in and out of consciousness, Jan discovered her arms and legs 
tied to a bed. On occasion, Jan would wake up with a small intercom device next to her pillow. The high-pitched voices coming out of the ivory box identified themselves as aliens who had come to Earth from a dying planet. These aliens, named Zeta and Zethra, told Jan that she was in fact part alien herself. They told her that her mother was her biological mother, but her father had actually been an alien. Jan explained, They said that they had been watching me since I was born, and I had been chosen to be impregnated with a child who would save their planet. They called me the female companion. Not knowing what they meant by that, I would be given further instructions when I met the male companion. After three days, Jan awoke to find the motorhome had stopped moving. The intercom told her to go to the front of the vehicle. She opened the door and found a bloodied Robert Birchtold lying on the couch of the motorhome. Jan was shocked, but also relieved that the male companion, because it could have been anyone, but it turned out to be a man she loved with all of her heart, a man who was a constant in her life. A dazed and confused Birchtold acted as though he had no idea what was going on. As if on cue, the intercom relayed more details about Jan's mission. As told by Birchtold, by the aliens, he was the male companion. She was seeking. Not only that, Birchtold needed to impregnate her before she turned 16 so she could help save the extraterrestrial's dying planet. If she didn't follow the aliens' orders, they were going to kill her and her father. Her sister Karen would go blind, and her sister Susan would be kidnapped and forced to take her place as the female companion. Robert Birchtold showed Jan some books from the RV, which she quickly discovered were about sex. And the aliens came over the voice box and told her that it was time for her to do the thing which makes others happy. So Jan and Robert began having sexual intercourse. Over the course of the next month, Birch told repeatedly raped Jan Broberg. During their time together, which we later find out is in Mexico, Birch told and Jan got married. The legal age to marry in Mexico at this time was just 12 years old. But what was going on back in Idaho during all of this? The Brobergs soon realized that their daughter and Robert were missing. Around 9 p.m. on the night of their disappearance, Gail came over to the Brobergs' home. Bob and Marianne were going to contact the FBI, but Gail Birchtold somehow convinced the Brobergs not to call. Instead, they waited two days before calling the FBI. But by now, it was the weekend and the office was closed. Marianne was concerned about making additional calls. She didn't want to get everyone worked up over nothing. Even then, they didn't want to believe that Robert had done anything wrong. On October 22, 1974, Marianne called the FBI again. Birch told and Jan had been missing for five days now. 
FBI agent Pete Welsh received the call and would become the lead FBI special agent for the Broberg case. Agent Welsh and his partner immediately went to the Broberg house to conduct an initial interview. They learned about the relationship between the Broberg and Birchtold families, and they were told that Robert was a member of the LDS faith, along with the Broberg family. They also learned that Robert Birchtold was considered an upstanding member of the community. Even though Robert and Jan had been missing for five days at this point, the Broberg family still did not think anything nefarious was happening. They just did not know where the two were. But FBI agent Welsh told the couple, this man has kidnapped your daughter. She is gone and we don't have any idea where. The FBI then went over to Robert Birchtold's home to interview his wife, Gail. She told them about a motorhome the couple owned, which was missing. At this point, the FBI believed that the girl was kidnapped by Robert and that they were in the missing motorhome. The police then found Robert Birchtold's car, abandoned, with the driver's side window broken out and blood stains dripping down the outside of the door. But when the FBI agents arrived at the scene, they quickly deduced that the window had been broken from the inside out. They were not falling for Robert's buffoonery. At this scene, they also located fresh tire tracks, which seemed to come from a motorhome-style vehicle, accompanied by fresh footprints. Easily enough from this scene, they hypothesized that Robert had kidnapped Jan, transferred her from the car to the motorhome, and left with her. The problem was, they had no idea where they had gone. A nationwide search ensued, and even the Border Patrol was notified to look out for the missing girl. The FBI filed kidnapping charges against Robert Birchtold, which carried a maximum sentence of life in prison. Robert Birchtold's brother, Joe, told the FBI that his brother had always had an infatuation with young girls. He called Robert a straight-up pedophile. Robert had even molested his own younger half-sister. Now, November 20th, 1974, Jan had been missing for 35 days. Robert called his brother and asked him to contact Mary Ann and gain her permission to bring Jan back to the U.S. and marry her. They were already legally wed in Mexico, but he needed her family's blessing to cross the border back into the U.S. For once, Bob and Mary Ann did not agree. Joe Birch told Robert's brother, cooperated with the police and FBI and initiated a phone call, which they tapped and traced to find out where in Mexico the fugitive was. The FBI worked with the Mexican police and the Mexican police overtook the small motorhome and rescued Jan. In the jail, Robert bribed one of the guards with a gold ring to allow him to speak with Jan. He told the young girl to tell her parents that he had made a mistake. He took her too far away without telling her family. He told her that he had been visited by Zeta and Zethra, 
and that they had told him that there were four things she was not allowed to talk about. One, she could not reveal anything about the aliens Zeta and Zethra or their planet. Two, she could not tell anyone about the relaxing pills she'd been given by Robert. Three, she could not talk about the mission. And four, she could not talk about the sexual contact that they had had. If she revealed any of these things, her sister Karen would go blind and they would kill her father. Lastly, they would take her sister Susan. Robert told her that she could not have any contact with any other men, including her father. Because of Jan's strong faith, she complied. The Brobergs flew to Mexico to retrieve their daughter. It was a joy-filled reunion. Jan fell to pieces in the presence of her parents, overcome with emotions about what had happened to Robert. Her parents explained that they were here for her and that stuff with Robert would get worked out in time. Bob and Marianne took Jan back to Idaho. On the plane ride home, Bob immediately knew that his daughter was irrevocably changed. She wouldn't even sit next to him on the plane. And Robert Birchtold remained in prison until he was extradited to the U.S. to face kidnapping charges. The Brobergs sent the marriage certificate back to Mexico with instructions for the marriage to be annulled. Robert's punishment was not severe. It was, like his experience with the LDS church, a slap on the wrist. For starters, he wasn't charged with any crimes of a sexual nature. Because when Jan was examined by a doctor, he confirmed that her hymen had not been broken and Jan assured her parents that nothing improper had gone on between them. Second, the still brainwashed preteen was not going to reveal anything about the sexual abuse that she had been subjected to because the aliens had told her not to. One might think that kidnapping a child and marrying her would mean you were on the outs with said child's family, but not in this bizarre case. Jan and Robert continued to sneak in visits with each other. In addition to writing letters, they spoke on the phone. Sometimes, the voice on the other end of the line wasn't Robert's, but rather, it was that of the aliens reminding Jan to complete her mission. And Jan was convinced that this alien mission was true and that the penalties for failing the mission meant dire consequences for her family. The FBI told Bob and Marianne Broberg to stay away from Robert Birchtold. Don't see him socially. Don't let your kids play together. Nothing. But not only did the family remain friends with Robert Birchtold, but Marianne fell in love with Robert, and the pair had a full-on affair. Amazingly, the affair lasted for nearly a year, during the same period that he was charged with kidnapping Jan. Marianne claims she met up with Brother B a total of eight times, but allegedly only had sex with him three of those times. Eventually, the kidnapping charges would be lessened. This happened because 
Gail was able to use the affair and other sexual misdeeds against Marianne and Bob. One day, Gail showed up at the Broberg's house and asked to speak with Bob in the den privately. When she left, Bob came out and told Marianne that if they did not drop the charges, Gail would reveal the truth about the sexual acts between Bob and Robert. Instead of pursuing any legal action, the Brobergs issued a letter stating that they would not be taking that route since the whole kidnapping thing had been a big misunderstanding. She stated, My daughter was not taken by force or against her will, nor was she held or confined against her will at any time while in the company of the defendant. But because of the federal resources utilized in this search for Jan, federal authorities insisted that a trial proceed. At the trial, the prosecution had no witnesses. No one would testify against Robert Birchtold. Robert then moved to live close to his brother Joe, and in doing so, he left his wife Gail and their five children behind, telling her that he would come back for them when they had appropriate resources. He would still come home on the weekends and attend church. The community seemed to have no ill will towards Robert at all. One night, Jan awoke in her basement corner bedroom and saw Robert standing in her room, the white speaker box next to her bed, playing messages from the aliens. And then Jan would start getting notes passed to her at school to meet at certain locations at certain times. Sometimes she would receive a love letter from Robert. Sometimes the location would be a phone booth. The phone would ring, and on the other end was a strange alien voice giving her instructions to proceed with the mission. Jan would write love letters back to Robert. At this point, she had been completely groomed by this man and he is looking for his chance to get exactly what he wants. Jan told her mother that she wanted to marry B and to be his wife. In the spring of 1975, Marianne met with Robert at his motorhome, which he was living out of. He tried to convince her that she should get a divorce and run away with him. The two ended up having sexual intercourse for the first time during this encounter. This only served to give Robert more power over Marianne. Four or five days after this rendezvous, Robert called Bob Broberg and told him about the sexual encounter that he had had with Marianne. This, of course, disrupted their marriage irreparably, but Marianne felt that she also loved Robert and their affair would continue for the next eight months. Bob Broberg filed for divorce from Marianne, but after being separated for only a few days, the couple reconciled. In June of 1976, 20 months after the kidnapping, Birch told agreed to a plea deal for felony kidnapping. The judge sentenced Robert to five years, but immediately reduced it to only 45 days. During this year, Jan wanted to go spend the summer working in Jackson Hole, Wyoming at a water park. Her parents refused, and then Robert called Marianne 
and told her to let Jan go to Jackson Hole, or she was just going to run away and hitchhike there. So Marianne put Jan on a plane to go to Jackson Hole. And Bob was pissed that she went behind his back to make this decision. And of course, when Jan got there, she stayed with Robert in his motorhome, and they lived like a couple. They also continued the mission. They continued to have sex. Jan was now 13. On August 10th, 1976, two years after kidnapping Jan the first time, Robert Birchtold stole her away again. This time, they were gone for four months. Birchtold appeared in Jan's bedroom window, telling her to pack her things and leave a note saying she was running away. Jan, who was clearly misguided, wrote, You won't let me do what's right, so I'll do what's wrong. I do not plan on coming back. I just want to be me and have be. Let me go. Jan had implied that Robert had nothing to do with her running away and that she was not with him. But of course, she was. The pair snuck into Birchtold's Lincoln Continental and headed south to California. Naturally, Jan's parents were distraught about her running away, and out of embarrassment within their community, the couple was reluctant to tell anyone that Jan was gone again. So this time, they waited two weeks before contacting the FBI. The FBI, on the other hand, wasn't convinced that Jan was not with Birchtold. What with Birchtold being away and all. On September 1st, Jan had been missing for three weeks, and it was time for Birchtold to begin his jail sentence. In the end, Robert Birchtold spent less than two weeks in jail. After leaving jail, Birchtold took his motorhome and moved to Salt Lake City, Utah. In November, it was discovered that Birchtold had kidnapped Jan, and he was now living in Salt Lake City, Utah. Jan, however, was not in Salt Lake City with Robert. He'd enrolled her at an all-girls Catholic boarding school in Pasadena, California. True to form, Birchtold convinced the educators at the school that he was in the CIA and that he and Jan were on the run. If anyone came looking for her, it was the bad guys. The FBI eventually contacted the school, but the staff was more than a little reluctant to provide them with any information about Jan, since they, like almost everyone else, it seems, believed everything that Birchtold told them. The FBI is the FBI, after all, so they were eventually able to get Jan out of the school. After three months in hiding, Jan was once again returned to Idaho. When Birchtold was in jail for the first kidnapping, he'd allegedly offered to pay two men $1,000 a month to burn down Bob's floral store, which they of course did. In fact, they ended up burning down almost an entire city block. The two men were caught and convicted of arson, but there was not enough evidence to pin anything on Robert. Birchtold was once again charged with kidnapping. Jan would later recall that Birchtold raped her more than 200 times. But again, 
sexual abuse charges were never brought against him. Birchtold was acquitted of the kidnapping charge due to mental illness. Therefore, Birchtold was not sent to jail. Instead, he went to a mental facility and was released six months later. When Jan turned 16, she went to drama camp at Brigham Young University. There, she met a boy who liked her, and it made her uncomfortable. After returning from this camp trip, Jan realized that she was now 16, and the mission had never been completed. She finally told the story of the aliens to her family and fell apart. Letting this story out finally broke the spell that Robert Birchtold had over Jan. Eventually, it was discovered that Robert had used the alien abduction story on other victims as well. In one instance, he told a young girl that she was a princess from another planet and was also on a mission. As was Birchtold's modus operandi, he befriended the girl's mother, who was a psychiatric nurse at a prominent hospital. She was in his apartment for 119 days. My mother couldn't see through him, the victim later said. For this, Birchtold was actually charged and convicted of rape of a child and sentenced to jail. He served one year. Why Birchtold used the alien narrative has never been completely answered. Was he fascinated by science fiction? Or did he know that his victims, who were mostly religious, could be manipulated through their blind faith? Six women have since come forward to say that they were also raped by Robert Birchtold. Proving there's someone for everyone, Robert, who had long ago divorced Gail, moved to Brigham City, Utah, and remarried. This time, to a second-grade teacher who had two daughters. The two daughters, though, ran away to their biological father's house in Idaho. Why? Robert had began to sexually abuse them as well. In the year 2004, a full 28 years after he'd kidnapped Jan Broberg for a second time, and years after serving jail time for raping a child, he was still sexually abusing young girls. Nothing had changed, it seemed. Jan Broberg married and seems to have channeled her difficult youth into an acting career. She has many theater, television, and film accolades and credits under her belt, but she's most known for her roles in the television shows Everwood and Criminal Minds. She's also a writer. Jan Broberg Felt and her mother, Marianne Broberg, collaborated on a book called Stolen Innocence, The Jan Broberg Story. It was eventually published in October of 2003. Subsequently, the pair embarked on a speaking tour. Robert Birchtold, feeling he was being misrepresented in the book, took to showing up at readings. Birchtold took it upon himself to inform the local media and anyone present that the two women were telling lies. In March of 2004, Birchtold, who was now 68 years old, showed up at a women's conference 
at Dixie State College, which is now Dixie State University, in St. George, Utah, where Jan was speaking. He asked a volunteer from Bikers Against Child Abuse, or BACA, if he could distribute some pamphlets at the conference. Jan had asked BACA, which included 12 bikers, to attend the conference for added safety. In the lead-up to the conference, Jan, members of her family, and the Women's Conference Board had received threatening letters from Robert Birchtold. Les Watson, the BACA volunteer, asked to see the material. Birchtold refused and became threatening. When Watson walked away, Birchtold got into his white minivan and drove into him, striking his right knee. Watson knocked into the front of the van and was dragged for 110 yards. Birchtold then left the scene. Police were able to track him down a little while later at a local McDonald's, thanks to a witness remembering his license plate. Birchtold was booked into, fittingly, Purgatory Correctional Facility on charges of assault, criminal trespassing, and disorderly conduct. He was found guilty and was scheduled to be sentenced. But once again, he avoided jail. While Broberg Felt never saw Birchtold at the event in St. George, she was significantly worried for her life and decided to get a restraining order, which he contested. While in court, Birchtold told the presiding judge that Broberg felt was just looking for her 15 minutes of fame. The woman he'd victimized as a child stood, looked across the courtroom at Robert and said, no, I'm doing this because I want to protect families from monsters like you. The judge awarded Broberg felt a restraining order against Birchtold. Instead of the normal three months of protection, the judge issued Jan a restraining order that would last for the rest of Robert's life. Robert Birchtold, age 69, had no intentions of going to jail, ever. On November 11, 2005, he overdosed on pills, Kahlua, and milk. Gross. His obituary makes no mention of his horrific crimes. Instead, he is fondly remembered as a truck driver who served in the U.S. Army during the Vietnam War. He was survived by his wife, Deanna, sons Jerry James Joseph and Jeff, daughter Jill Scott, and mother Lucille. No one knows all of the answers, or does everything perfectly. It is difficult as an adult to try and make all of the right choices. But where you have to draw the line, as a parent, is letting your own fears about others' perceptions outweigh the safety you are providing for your children. They are precious. Hold them tight. I'm John Dodson. And we'll see you back here next Thursday for an all-new episode of The Secret Sits. Audio engineering by Gabriel Dodson. Original artwork provided by Tony Lay. <laughs>